Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Uh, going well. Now, it's quite extraordinary week in fishing. We kick things off. Uh, in New South Wales, where Troy Scully has sort of had one of the most extraordinary days fishing you could possibly imagine, jigging for snapper on the inshore reefs around Port Stephens. On 20-pound gear, he's landed a baby swordfish. It is quite incredible to to think that your bycatch catching or fishing for snapper is a baby sword that's how, – how long would that be? 90 centimetres maybe, including the bill? It, the fish are drunk. I've got nothing more to say. <laughs> the fish are drunk. We're seeing some unusual stuff, and you're probably going to have to put it down to a bit of global warming, Patrick, because we're getting pelagics moving around like they have never moved before, and it's coming down to the currents and everything the likes. I'm not that familiar with global warming, but I know you keep on top of it all, but – to catch a swordfish at Port Stephens on snapper gear is absolutely insane. But not only that. It's a beautiful it's, fish. Oh, awesome. I would have put it in my fish tank. But it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's crazy too because down in the southwest here in Victoria, we saw, which I've, I haven't seen before. I've seen a couple of reports. I've never caught one. We've seen slender tuna mixed in during the week and also butterfly tuna which I have seen caught out of southwest Victoria a couple of times, but they're also unusual species to catch mixed in with the bluefin tuna. So, like I said, the fish are drunk. What's the most, what's the, the oddest thing that you've caught whilst fishing inshore that you would normally expect to catch offshore? I, the only thing that's really happened to myself is that harpooka that I've mentioned a couple of times over the few years is harpooka is a deep sea fish, like a few hundred metres of water plus you catch them in. And I caught one on a lure trawling the shelf at Portland. Uh, it'd be eight years ago now, which is no one. I find it amazing, but no one giving me the bloody credit for it. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it was doing in the top part of the water, but that was unusual. I, I really, I, I've said to you so many times. I don't know if it's because I fish in my in my own world. I fish so correctly that nothing really happens to me. Like when I say if I go snapper fishing, I catch snapper. But I've got people that go out, I'll send them to a mark, gummy fishing, say, for instance, in the channel off Queenscliff here, and they'll catch a nine-pound, nine-kilo snapper. And I've never even caught a snapper there before. And I've sent them gummy fishing there, and I've fished there a thousand times. Nothing like that ever 
happens to me. Have you ever had anything unusual happen? Uh, probably a few years ago, we were fishing quite – and unusual or not, whatever, but we were fishing for snapper in and, like, as close to the beach as you can just about get. Like, we were honestly maybe 40 metres off off the beach and it was literally a, a ball sinker set up with a hook. Like, it was, it was late afternoon, we just zipped out there uh, to catch a few snapper and we caught a – uh, thrasher shark that would have been, you know, 70, 70 odd kilos. <laughs> Caught it on a bait caster. Like, it was you're just extraordinary. Actually, you're actually that guy that I was talking about. You're actually <laughs> a pain in the ass because you are, you are a tin ass. Because every time you and I go fishing, you we always catch fish. Like, I don't, I'm probably going to jinx this. Just to name a few. We went out one time, bronze a shark. You wanted to catch a mako, and old Tony he was fishing the grass beds, and he goes, oh, I'm getting the uh, whiting and squid. We drop on one spot. I think on the egg, this same day, we got a handful of nice calamari, handful of nice whiting. We went offshore. On the way out, we found those salmon, caught some salmon. We get out there, and I said to you, did you grab those burly logs to drift for a shark? And you go, oh, I forgot to tell you. Apco didn't have any left. We had no burly <laughs> I filleted the salmon. I scaled the salmon. I, I put the fillets. We didn't bleed them I, just because we we're going to use them for burley. I shook the bag. I said to your old man, shake the bag, John Boy, for me. Because I had the I had the shits, let's be honest, because you didn't actually bring the burley and we're chasing a shark. And then by the time I rigged up a rod and put the bait out, I turned around and we had 120, 130 kilo bronze whaler on the end of it, which we landed without a gaff. We managed to put a tail rope on it and we landed it without a gaff. So... You've done all right in the fishing world with your uh, with your luck. I'll give you that. And then just comes out for a round of fish in his new 750 North Bank. He catches 135 kilo bluefin as well. Well, you make your – I think a good attitude, you make your own luck. Sorry, I, my, my last extraordinary catch, no doubt, was fishing Mission Beach, Queensland, and I was fishing with Paul Worsling. He was uh, recording an episode for iFish, and we were fishing for GTs. And believe it or not, I – Hooked a GT, but I hooked a GT through a jig. So connected the um, my hook connected with the hook of a jig that was already in the mouth of a GT. So when we brought it to the boat, the whole thing was captured on on film. So it was it was you could believe it because we filmed it. So bring the bring the fish up to the boat, and so many things could have gone wrong. Uh, but you could actually see that the only way that the, the fish is connected to the rod is because these two hooks have overlapped and hooked each other. And then later that night at the pub, we met a guy that had lost a lure on that same spot and he described the lure perfectly, even that there was a couple little beads that he puts on the end of every lure, which no one else could have described and he described it. So we found the guy at the pub of the night who'd lost the, the lure I think maybe three or four days beforehand. So this GT has been rolling around with this with this uh, jig in its mouth, 120-gram jig in its mouth. The bling. Oh, extraordinary. That, that's the – I know there's, there's some great stories out there. That's the most amazing one I can remember. That, no, that just sums it up what I was pretty much saying from the start of this segment basically is that you are a tin ass in fishing because – you just uh, – why doesn't anything like that ever happen to me? Like, knowing my life, I would have lost my jig and my rod. <laughs> it would have been the way it worked. Anyway, it's plenty happened during the week. But one thing that you wanted to talk about today, 
was live baiting tips and tricks and how to get live bait because I know you had a couple of messages in the Real Adventures app that you read during the week. Yeah, it's one thing that so we, we we get often asked about and and you're not massive on it, particularly for tuna when, you know, you, you've coaxed them up before and, and quite often you'll start to, you'll dice up your uh, your pilchers and you'll, you'll live feed them a pill and you might even thread a, uh, I'll hook through one and hook them that way. But you've been less inclined to use live bait to, to fish for for um, tuna. It's something that you use often for kingfish. But going through, the, I suppose, the species list around what you target, I suppose the most accurate, if we're talking you know, something like whiting, you might go and catch some some sandworms. Um, yeah, bass yabbies. Yeah, bass yabbies. That's sort of as, as live as it gets for, you know, species – inside the bay and you can use the same thing obviously if you're fishing for for snapper even though you're you're more inclined to use pilchards and and obviously frozen squid but the tuna catches that you go after is it something that you look at it's obviously used quite often up north but we seem less inclined to use that sort of thing in the southern states yeah the baits definitely dead baits are definitely uh probably more the dominant way to target species just because i guess we don't have the scarce bait that other parts of the world have or the country has uh here in victoria but it's definitely i think probably one of the it is probably the most productive some fish are lazy so things like gummy sharks and the scavengers on the bottom it's easier for them to eat a dead salmon chunk rather than to chase a salmon around they're just not going to do that but a thing like for instance a snapper i caught some thumping snapper this year on little live slimy mackerel it was just yep. whether I could catch him on the day. So, and that's what it comes down to a lot, doesn't it? If, if you've got the time to actually go and chase yeah. live bait in order to then go and target your snapper, your sharks, tuna, etc. Oh, exactly. And I, I, for instance, a slimy mackerel uh, is a great fish to use for uh, for mar- for marlin up the east coast. We use them live every single time. If I can get a mako shark up around the boat, I would probably rather use a live live injured slimy on a hook than a dead one because it sparks them up it fires them up it gets them ready same as a kingfish put in once you get a live bait to go you can often get the jigs to go you can get the reaction bite off a live bait so the live bait will also uh for instance uh you're casting poppers at a school of kingfish if you cast the poppers the kingfish are inquisitive they'll come over and they'll chase that popper they might not eat it or a surface bait and they'll look at the live bait and they'll actually eat the live bait and then you'll get the reaction bite and else on other methods Quite often, you'll speak about if you if you've got a few kings on board and you're happy to play with one, it means play with it. That'll stir up the other kings around it, and you keep casting and you and you'll you'll keep them interested. Yeah, ninja turtle like I like to call it because they've got that green band around their eyes, as my uh, son Finn would say. Ninja turtle fight. He uh he put the uh he's got they got the green band around their eyes, so they they and when it gets dark and starts to look dull. That's when we like to, to change it. So it's called tethering. So if you can sacrifice a kingfish to keep it under the boat for, say, five, eight minutes while you've got other, someone else and try and leave one in the water the whole time, the school yep. very rarely will leave that school until, I guess, a period of, a period of time, Pat. So yeah, they might hang around for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes an hour. You and I have had them. I remember one time off Aries, you and I had them for like an hour, and we, you, myself, you were in your boat with your dad and I was in the other boat and we are just drifting next to each other, catching fish after fish. And they stayed for hours, surface, uh, jigging, everything. So, But it's about getting them fired up and live bait is one of those things. 
Uh, Squid's another great way to do it. I'm catching uh, Squid on live little live Tommy Ruffs this year. I actually did a lot of that. So I kept them live in the live bait tank, and I actually caught the squid, baited them up live on the spike, and just the vibrations fired that squid up a little bit more as well. So when, you, when you're searching for whether it be Tommy Ruff, um, Arrow Squid, what are the grounds you, you're looking for? Let's start with, with Tommy Ruff and Slimings. Yep. Edge of Reef, is it is it potluck? What's the what's the process behind, you know, for those that are listening, really giving yourself the best chance to catch really good quality live bait? Reef, you can't beat reef. Any or structure, any reef or structure, that's the go. Probably not so your Tommies. Your, or no, your, your Tommies as well. Like you're in and around harbours, your Tommies are great in there, your little salmon uh, 21 centimetres. But slimy mackerel, you can't beat them. Uh, in, in the ocean, you find basically any sort of reef in that 20 metres outside of here, even all the headlands. Headlands are a great place to start too, Pat, and that's a great place to fish as well. So, for instance, if you're heading out of Bermagui, right on the point of Burmy there, you'll get all your live slimies schooled up on the edges there, right where the current sort of starts to run across the headland, and that's where you'll get your slimies. Somewhere like the Continental Shelf uh, is always going to hold Fish food, it just always is. It's going to hold bait no matter what it is. You're going to have updwellings. You're going to have all sorts of nutrients coming out of that, and it's always going to hold fish. So bait, which holds fish. So find the right water, and you're going to find your right uh, your right bait. But the tips and tricks to it is just literally sounder. I don't think you can beat your sounder. Like your sounder is your number one. Um, I guess it, it shows you where everything is without having to waste time. So. I, I'm not, when we're chasing marlin, for instance, we're in 180 metres of water pad on the in, inside of the continental shelf, and I'll be just sitting at 10 kilometres an hour just trawling my lures, and I'll say to the boys, well, we'll put the lures out first. All right, we'll look, start looking for some bait. We put the lures out. I stop the boat. I mark up bait. We've been efficient. We've had the lures out, so we've got a chance of catching fish, but we've covered ground, and we're also searching and trying to locate where the bait is as well, and I'll say to the boys, right, I'll quickly drop the sinkers down, get the slimies and bring it back up. So I think a sounder is another, I guess, must-have when you are trying to get yourself bait. It's one thing to get it. The other thing is obviously to, to keep it fresh. So a well-aerated live bait tank with a decent amount of water that, that gives it some, well, the fish some room to move is obviously critical to, to keeping those live bait healthy. I'll just throw one more in there before a couple of minutes left, maybe maybe a minute or so, but the um, – when we're doing these barrels for the tuna, you mentioned at the start of the, the show, is don't be afraid to, to net the bait too. So when you get the bait balls that the fish are working on and you if you can't get a bite on a lure, get stop on the bait, scoop up some live bait or whatever bait it is, and then drop it down. Like the amount of fish that I caught last year, scooping up red bait, yakkers and whatnot and putting it back down, you're actually putting the fish down on what they're eating. Now, you don't necessarily have to be alive. I think live is probably going to be the best way to do it. Um, but if you get a big yakka, don't be afraid to float a, de- that, a yakka down dead through that bait ball because that's what the tuna that's what the tuna are wanting to eat. So it's a pretty, pretty good way to get yourself a big fish or a small fish. Huge show of real adventures coming your way this morning. Sam Goodwin, our master chef extraordinaire, joins us to talk through the preparation uh, in regards to tuna, everyone's talking about it at the moment, but how can you really make the most of the tuna that you catch? So by the time it hits the plate, it's something that's worth remembering and something that you truly enjoy eating. This 
is Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time to find out what's biting in your part of the country. We start in New South Wales. Redmond Marimbula has had huge land-based kingfish this week. Now, they're always there, but there's some really big fish being caught at the moment. We had John from Mimosa Oysters on our show a little while ago, and geez, his oysters are tasty, Pat. I love a good oyster. <laughs> and uh, we had him on the show, and I, was, I caught up with him a little while ago, and he was explaining to me that he does a lot of diving and spearfishing, and he was diving out of Marimbula all the time around the piers and Tarthra and whatnot, and the local kingfish, they call them, the big 20-kilo fish are always there, he reckons, and he has struggles. Uh, he struggles spearing them. He's like, I don't want to spear them because, because they're sort of like the local fish, but to catch them is another thing. They're really hard to get to take baits. Now, during the week... And because they pull like a Mack truck. They pull like a Mack. you got to, 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 to tighten up the hook and let alone stop them, so uh, around the structure. But during the week, a young fella went down to the pier and landed an absolute stonker. And it's not uncommon to see these guys caught there in April. It's a very good time to head to Marimbula Jetty, get yourself some live bait and hold on to your jocks because trying to land these fish is seriously... They're a big fish. Oh, this fish would have had to have been, what, 15-plus kilo? Yeah, it was a really nice fish. But that's a big kingfish. But speaking of kingfish as well, Monty Island, Pat, Cam White was down there during the week, and he gave me a good report. Knife jigs and live baits, small, slimy mackerel, they were plagued with them, plagued with kingfish. One day they were small fish. One day they were bigger fish. Seals and pricks of things there was his exact words. <laughs> they were, might have been a little bit more language there at the time. But – they are giving him a bit of grief for seals. How are they? How are they targeting them? What's been the, the most successful format of? On the best way to do it, we spoke about it at the start of the show. Get yourself some live bait. They're going yep. to get you the bigger fish, but the problem is the seals, Pat. If yep. you put your slime back in the water, they eat your live bait. So jigging then comes into, I guess, or in squid strips. The seals won't hit the squid strips as much, but you've got to obviously get the squid. That's the other issue, but. If you can get slimies down there away from the seals, they're going to get you the bigger fish. It's the best way to do it. And another good friend of mine, Kane, uh, was staying in Tarthra. And Kane is your favourite fisherman, I think, Pat, because you think he doesn't work a minute of the minute of the week. He but doesn't. He's a builder that is full-time fisherman. <laughs> full-time fisherman. He's off Tarthra Beach, and he gave me a live report. He reckons the salmon and the tailor. Now, this is even funnier, though. He was getting a uh, treble hook out of the salmon's mouth. So this is this is why you don't use trebles, Pat. And I should send you the photo. He's actually gone to pull the treble hooks out of the salmon and it's ripped out and it's ended up flicking into his chest <laughs> through his T-shirt. So he's got a set of uh, nipple piercings in, under, in one side of his <laughs> trebles flung out of the salmon and ended up in his chest. So that's why we often don't talk about using trebles, change your hooks to singles. And, of course, the Redmond, the other one is uh, Port Stevens at the moment. Uh, in, in shallow water, the uh, the swordfish are fishing really well. Uh, you know, twenty pound gear and uh, and your snapper setup will will do the job on there. Small small micro jigs. <laughs> uh, let's move to uh, South Australia. Hammerheads being caught Port Neal at the moment, and they're usually in packs, but some some interesting captures. Yeah, the fish with the hammerhead. They um they yeah the I'm seeing. For some reason, I'm seeing massive numbers of these right through my social media, right around the whole country. There's different types of hammerheads, rules and regs for different hammerheads as well. Some are endangered. But uh, Port Neal, I think I've seen three or four fish hammerheads come out of there in the last few days. So 
if you often if you have a shark bait out, they're a beautiful eating shark. Uh, for me, I have caught and uh, killed one and ate one and eat. Go ahead with Eason. money. Go ahead with money. Uh, <laughs> eaten one and we got it. And <laughs> it's uh, and we it was beautiful to eat, but I actually felt quite guilty uh, killing the shark in itself. I don't know why, Pat. Like it just it was just one of those things. Like, do you like if I don't know if you make a shark, you sort of just take it and eat it. Where this thing was, it's like a unique species. I don't they know. are, yeah. There's something about them. Uh, in the surf at Saltwater Creek as well, and this is probably why the hammerheads right around the coast because the salmon fishing right across South Australia is going nuts at the moment. Saltwater Creek, massive salmon, right up to sort of four or five kilo. Like they're big salmon, and the guys that are actually transferring them into baits are getting gummies off the beach too, part of a night. So it's well worth heading down before before light, um, uh, before light finishes, getting yourself a few salmon and chucking some baits out. Uh, Queensland, Harvey Bay, Spanish mackerel uh, are fishing super well at the moment on divers once again because of the teeth red, but it's something that you're probably going to uh, load up with some decent metal and steel traces uh, rather than just your mono to, 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 line, uh, to, to lure simply because of the, the challenges that you have keeping those fish hooked up. Yeah, you're spot on. That, that literally is exactly what you need to do, whether it's a foot or a metre of uh, wire trace. It's definitely the go. And Rigging properly, there's a couple of quick knot white knots to use. If you can jump on YouTube and have a look on how to uh, actually tie a quick why knot, you and I did it when we headed up there and chasing the mackerel, and you were lucky enough to get one. So it's a good way to do it. Lucinda, one of your favourite places, Pat. The Jackson Queenies have been on fire, uh, sort of around the mangroves and up the creeks and whatnot on surface lures. So that's a really good thing to do if you're up that way. Western Australia, Silver Trevally, out of Fremantle and around the structures have been fishing quite well. Plastics have been the most successful. And there's been plenty of Maui Maui Redmond on the fads still out wide of Perth. But once again, if you've got that structure and there's, you've got the ocean and, and current movement out there, the Maui Maui have been uh, not play. I can't, I can't have the Maui Maui. It's the Mahi Mahi, Patrick. I get people on You know what? We'll see how many Instagram messages I get for correcting you on that. I'll get a, I'm going with four this week. I'll get once again, that that water movement and the structure out wide that generates the um, the interest from the mahi mahi, <laughs> and uh, there's been good captures there. Tasmania, Redmond, Badger's Head. That run of bluefin tuna continues. We'll keep talking about it. Why it's there? That whole north side of Tasmania's got school tuna everywhere. There's some bigger tuna mixed amongst them, uh, and I'm sure those bigger fish won't be far away. Few people out there targeting swords in Tassie too. Few bit of luck. Few not so much luck. But I know Worsling was out there, bit of bit unsuccessful last week. But he'll be back out there with a bit of success, I'm sure, this week coming. That's that's and part and parcel when it comes to sword sword fishing. And we know Al McGlashan during the week caught a couple of really nice swords. He, he kept one um, and he he sat tagged the other. But it's just it takes time. You can't go out that far and expect to catch fish when you're fishing 500 metres of water every time. So it's it's the investment of putting the time on the water. There was reports out of uh, Lake's entrance this week of uh, a type of puffer fish slash toad fish that is literally – Lee Rayner did the report I read during the week. They are destroying people's uh, braid. So when you're fishing swordfish, you have, say, for instance, you might have a 100, 150-metre top shot, which is mono, and the rest of your line's braid to give you a bit of a direct more, – more of a direct contact with the feel of your, of your line. Which makes sense because you're, it's that deep that – if you don't have something like braid, if you use mono for 500 metres, you just wouldn't get any feel because of the stretch in the line. 
Yeah, 100%. And you you might not get hook penetration either. So the re- And the reason you want the stretch of the mono, that 100 metres, is because when you're fighting the fish, the stretch actually work, can work in your favour to not pulling hooks out. So it's a fine line on how you do it. But these toadfish in the feed layer or the scatter layer, they're like, they're like, you like to call it, they, which is, say, for instance, it might be from 300 metres to the bottom of the scatter layer on your centre. It's basically just feed. And in amongst that was millions and millions of toadfish. And they were literally every – I think Lee Rayner said he – just over $1,000 in gear he lost. Just, oh, just no. dropping down. I think he lost four to eight four, – four rigs, I think he lost, he said, which you got to remember, each rigs have money worth like lights on – Proper expensive underwater lights that might be between fifty to hundred dollars each. It might and it's have, rigging the bait as well. It's the time it takes oh, to sew the bait together. <laughs> Plus your braid. Like if you're dropping, if you put say fifteen hundred meter or twelve hundred meters of braid on a reel, and the sword and the, the puffer bites it halfway up, you lose a few hundred meters of braid. It adds up too. So it's a very expensive way to lose yourself some uh, money as well, sword fishing. But it's a fish of a lifetime that fish. So, that's what's biting in your part of the world. Let's get to the social club. We take your questions from social media each and every week. We do our best to get to as many as we possibly can. Redmond, let's start with Bill. Red, when you're barrel fishing, where do you have the drag lever actually set and how much drag do you use? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, once again, we'll stick to 24 kilo. We will always run a third of our line class so if we're running 24 kilo we're going to be running roughly eight kilos of drag it will take a little bit of human error but when you're setting the drag i don't actually run that eight kilo on the initial strike of the fish to say if you're trawling the barrel blueprint pad set your rods out but don't have the actual uh drag all the way up to the strike button just bring it back maybe three clicks and you'll probably be running around that six kilo of drag so that eight kilos is quite a lot of drag and you don't want to rip the hook out. So six kilos, a few kilos less. And then once you get comfortable, you get all the rods in the, out in the water, then bump it straight up to eight kilo and you'll be all right. Which is different if you're fishing for, for sharks, for instance. And one thing that, that people get confused sometimes when it comes to setting your drag, you're starting with free spores, essentially. For sharks? Yep. Yeah, for sharks, 100%. Sharks, you are running free spool because you want the shark to eat the bait. You want to let it run with it for a bit. You don't want it to just mouth the bait and then you strike and it pulls it straight out. You want yeah. them to eat it. There's two methods, and if you don't like a little bit of gory stuff, block your ears or turn the radio down right now because if you want to go the kill method, a, 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 a J-hook, let the fish eat it. You can get it hooked down deep, which quite often the shark will come in easier. And Or if you do hook a bit early, you might be lucky enough to get a normal J-hook in the side of the mouth. But if you want to have a catch and release or if you want to have a bit of fun fighting the fish, I highly recommend using circle hooks, Pat. They get them in the corner of a jaw. It's easier for you to handle at the boat if you do want to release or keep because it's hooked in the side of the fish's mouth. And it's also going to be a lot safer for you to use especially when you're running free spool drags like we spoke about just then. Brad, hey, boys, trolling uh, divers for bluefin, how do I stop them jumping out of the water? Now, we could have repeated this question about 15 times, I reckon, because we get it so often. A lot of it has to do with the dive that you're using, Redmond, but also the trawling speed and setting your using the, the correct lures for the trawl speed that you're using. But how do you set yours and how are you preventing that 
jumping and skipping that you know so many anglers have have challenges with now one way to stop it is when you take a diver off don't just throw it in the side of the boat or into the uh into the bottom of the bait board like i do because it starts to damage the actual diver the bib the bib, the bib. The, yep. the, the bit that makes it dive the bib at the front there it starts to damage that and that's firstly what can make the, it, it correct, uh, swim incorrectly uh so don't do that but i think the best way to get a diver to swim is once you like you there's a few there's a few well we'll go into a few things there's trolling speed like you said for the certain size uh diver so if you're using for instance a rapala you want to use say a if you're using a rapala 40 or 50 you probably that's going to swim a lot easier it's going to dive and hold itself in the water but if you drop to a 10 that's not going to trawl at speed because it's a smaller bib it's not going to hold water so you need to slow your speed down a little bit more but what i think is the most crucial aspect of it is actually changing the hooks to singles getting rid of the trebles because trebles grab more water they fling around they work against yourself even when you hook a fish but more importantly line you're lining kilos so don't run 200 pound on a diver because that line grabs more water and affects the way the diver swims. Quite often a diver, when you do hook it, you'll find that the diver's in its mouth and it's actually hanging out the end of the mouth quite often because it might be an inch and a half to three inches of the diver hanging out. So getting bitten, bitten off is a little bit harder. You get the odd time where it's hooked down deep, but quite often a diver is hooked and hanging out the end of the mouth of a fish because you've got to remember you're trolling at say 10, uh, 10 kilometers an hour that fish grabs that and straight away it's got hooks to fight with. So it generally hooks it at the mouth. To actually get swallowed down in its guts is not as common, but that's why you get away with going slightly lighter. So I'd much rather run 130 pound or 120 pound rather than 200 pound like you can get away with on a skirted lure because the skirted lure will do its thing at the surface where the diver won't. It'll pull out if you're running 200 pound. Beautiful work, Redmond. That is The Social Club. We take your questions each and every week. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures social pages. Simply send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook, or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. Coming up next, Sammy Goodwin for MasterChef, and we discuss the do's and the don'ts when it comes to preparing your southern bluefin tuna. Gearing up for Dometic, Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. It's now time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Now, XO Project Kitchen Chef, well, it's his business and his ex-master chef after all. Sammy Goodwin joins us this morning. Good morning, Sammy. Good morning, boys. Good to be back. It's been a while. It has, it has been, been a while. You've, you've been in lockdown. I, I've just got out of my uh, – I ended up with nine days in ISO because my my partner, love her, but we uh, contracted COVID at a wedding and then I was two days later, so I copped the um, the raw deal there. The spicy, uh, the spicy cough, Sammy. Spicy cough, yeah. Now, before we get into tuna preparation, it's, it's massive at the moment because, you know, people have got the southern bluefin – tuna vibe so everyone's trying to catch these barrels they're trying to catch these schoolfish. let's talk about exo project kitchen it's your baby you've been running it for a while post master chef talk to us about it yeah so it's my new baby i got it launched uh last year in the middle of all our lockdowns in winter um i saw the 
the bit of a craze and things restaurants were doing with these finish at home style meal packs. Um, and our, our restaurant offerings down on the ballerina are a little bit limited in terms of that like modern Asian really flavour packed food that we all love. Um, so I got it off the ground. I do finish at home modern Asian style meal packs uh, where I've, I've done all the, all the hard work, all the heavy lifting, slow cooked your meat, made all your really tasty sauces and then you can throw it together at home in like half an hour over the weekend. Um, now I've kind of piggybacked off that recently moved in more into the private dining space well that was going to be our next question jeff is the private dining that's 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 a more of a one-on-one experience where well, you can cater for up to sort of what people whatever people they want there but take us through how you actually run the private dinners yeah so this is something this is nearly the main goal of the business but because of all the lockdowns last year we couldn't do that in home stuff um so it's a really cool experience where uh, I do all the prep in, in my kitchen in Ocean Grove um, and then I come to your house and we put together like a restaurant-style experience and spread but on your dining table so you can get together anywhere between like it can be a, an intimate dinner for, for you and your partner for two people or we can do it for 20. And we do that modern Asian fun-style shared food um, and it can be anywhere between three courses or five or six. Patrick? The best part about this is you mm-hmm. and I go, we catch 120 kilo bluefin. You rock up home. You give Sammy a message or an email. He'll rock up to your house. He will clean that bluefin for you and he will prepare the whole thing. You want ceviche tuna, he'll cook it for you. That's how it works, isn't it, Chef? Uh, I'll cook it. I won't clean it. <laughs> Good timing. I actually had one um, last week. We were doing one for uh, your mate, Caden, and we were doing this um, beef tartare dish for entree. And he, he goes, oh, I've got this tuna in the fridge. I'm like, mate, you should have given me 10 minutes more notice and we could have turned <laughs> this deep dish into a tuna. But so if anyone is out there um, wants a hand doing that, get me along and we can do some fresh dish. So let's talk about tuna because it's it's certainly relevant at the moment. It's something that you always talk about, Aaron, the, the importance of bleeding your fish because you don't want – uh, blood-drenched flesh by the time it gets to the meal prep stage. When you're going through the do's and don'ts around tuna preparation, Sammy, what are you um, educating, um, you know, those looking to improve their, their culinary skills? Yeah, well, I was actually only talking about this with Caden last week as well. Now, Aaron's probably more of an expert on the um, the – the stuff you do on the boat, so you're gutting it, you're gilling it, you're icing it down in a slurry, you're making sure it's well bled. Um, once you get it home, I'm a bit a big advocate for um, how you how you store it in your fridge. So I don't want to see it wrapped in a plastic bag where it's going to like um, age and its own juice and start to smell because that's when people get really put off the raw fish or even the cooked steak starts to get a bit fishy. But if you can let it breathe, I like to wrap it in like an old tea towel and then put it on like a cake rack in your fridge. And by giving it that that airflow and the, the breathing air around it, I've held tuna in my fridge for like up to 25 days. See, that's something that oh, you learn something new every day. But I've always been one to, oh, I want to keep it fresh, so I'm going to wrap it in Glad Wrap. Yeah, you're going to wrap it, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, definitely, like there's your fish, like your whiting, that you want to eat as fresh as you can. But something um, when you get a big hunk of tuna, definitely – Wrap it in, whether it's a chucks, 
blue cloth or a tea towel, um, that'll protect it enough in your fridge. That 25 days that he actually kept that tuna for when he ate it, uh, Pat, only four people died from it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually the start of COVID on the ballerine. <laughs> <laughs> so once you've – so we've wrapped it up. How long do we keep it in the fridge before you feel like um, it's going to be at its best to eat? Because it's not yeah. necessarily – this is a bit of a misconception sometimes that the freshest fish is one that you catch straight away and then all of a sudden it's in the pan two hours later. That yeah. doesn't necessarily uh, – it isn't the best for really enjoying the, the flavour that the fish will provide. Yeah, your big ones for these locally are your tuna and your kingfish. You want to be looking at, at doing this. And they probably – they get – Anywhere from a week to two weeks old is really good. Um, if you just want to make the most of your tuna, like if you catch a 30-kilo school tuna, that could feed you for three weeks if you're a family of four. So um, this is as much about being sustainable and making the most out of your fish. What about sashimi? It sounds – people will often say, righto, quickly eat it as fresh as you can. I've caught the tuna. Let's cut a bit off. Let's eat it tonight. Sashimi-style, uh, raw – uh, you, can you eat can you eat at sashimi after seven days, or are you actually eating it only cooked after seven days? Say, for no, sure. Like, um, there's nothing wrong with eating it the day you catch it. It's beautiful. But what I'm what I'm saying is, you're not losing anything. You're actually gaining a bit of flavour by aging it that seven to ten days. Um, pushing it to twenty five is probably not required, but it works. What about what this? What actually happens though to the to the, to the meat as such because one thing that I've noticed is say I catch a 100 kilo tuna during the week, I've done everything right, I take it out of the ice, I whip, whip the fillets off. What I've noticed is the fillets are actually a lot clearer in a way. It's not They're not nowhere near as red and as firm. It's a lot clearer than just the next day after being on – actually leaving it on ice for 24 hours. Is that is that the start of the process? Yeah, so your fish goes through an initial stage of rigor mortis where it um, – the, the flesh will firm up really nicely. Um, and then, like, over the time that we're ageing it, whether it's for seven or ten days, you, you're actually you're losing a little bit of moisture, which condenses the flavour and also the fat transform. I don't know the full scientific term behind it, but it transforms and build up, builds up like an umami flavour, which is what we all really crave in food. When it comes to cooking them as steak, Sammy, what's the ideal sort of size fillets that you look to uh, to cook? Yeah, I'd be cutting it about an inch thick. So that allows you to get a little crust on the outside without actually overcooking the fish. So I'd eat it rare or blue if we're talking in that in that steak terms. Um, but it's kind of personal preference. You can you can um, cook it well done if you prefer. Last question on the blue side of things, Sammy. I, I reckon I get this asked question. Uh, this question asked the most. Which part of the fish is the best eating part that you've found? So you've got sort of different sections. What do you find is the best? Uh, it, something ridiculous, please. None of this cheek or anything. No, um, I, I would go something fatty, especially if you're cooking it in a pan. It'll save it from drying out. So that's your belly. If you're eating sashimi, it's personal preference whether you want a really clean tasting part of the top loin right in the center where you're not getting any of that sinew or you can eat the fatty belly part again if you want to eat it raw. 
Beautiful work. Sam Goodman, thank you for joining us on Real Adventures this morning and talking about Exo Project Kitchen. If you want more information, it's right over Sam Goodwin's socials. He, he is, of course, an ex-Master Chef contestant, and you can get all the relevant information for Exo Project Kitchen on his social media channels. Sammy, thanks for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. Thank you for having me. That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Red's Review for Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. It's time for Red's Review, our product review of the week, thanks to Club Marine. Uh, wet weather gear, Redmond. Yeah, it's really important. Unfortunately, we uh, had the chef on for too long just before, and, and we haven't got a hell of a lot of time, but I think this is just as important as looking after your bluefin out of the water to have a good day because it can literally – there's nothing worse than getting wet and cold. Simple. And wet weather gear is the only way you can stop it. Stormline gear to a massive range. It doesn't matter if you're in the marine industry, agriculture industry, or even just in the commercial. It will cater for everything. Now, they have heavy-duty jackets. So literally they are heavy-duty, but they also have ones that aren't as heavy-duty that sort of just stop you from getting wet in itself. Now, the reason I've got heavy-duty written in front of me here is because when I'm chasing tuna at Portland and it's freezing cold, you need a heavy-duty jacket that's going to keep you warm and dry. Now, they range from about $200 to $300, the jackets, give or take sizes or whatnot. So make sure you do get the exact right size for you. But I think the more important one is cater for what you're going to be doing the majority of. So if you live in Queensland, you're not going to go buy this heavy-duty jacket. You're probably going to get a light jacket just to keep you dry if you have a centre console, if you do a couple a little bit of water. So make sure you do get what covers exactly what you need because you can always put a jumper on underneath one of those lighter jackets as well now the fishing pants is also crucial uh if you if you do get commercial fishermen or if you do uh, chase these bluefin tuna they keep you dry they stop blood from going on you uh and they're around 250 to 300 dollars so when to use it like i said winter going out in the boat blah 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 it's the prime time but you need to be careful when you wear this pat and i'll i'll emphasize this a little bit when you put gum boots on and then you do put these pants on in a jacket. If you do end up in the drink, it's not going to be the nicest place to be. It's going to be very yeah. hard to get gum boots off and all this heavy gear. So it might be worth wearing a bum bag life jacket while you're wearing this, Pat, to help to assist you in floating so you can get it off in the water if you do go in. And I'm only saying this just because I nearly Worst went, case scenario. Yeah, I nearly, I nearly went asked over when I was charter fishing one time and I had all the gear on. I've gone, Jesus, I wonder what it's like. And I actually jumped into a mate's pool with all my gear on. I got it on my camera on my phone to actually see how hard it was, and it was very hard to get off. It was so hard to get off. So, and that's in a pool without any moving water, no waves, nothing like that. And not panicking either. Like, I knew I was doing it. So you don't know you're going in on a boat because if you did, you wouldn't let yourself. So wet weather gear is really important. Stormline's a fantastic product to chase, and make sure you head to the website and you'll get all the details that you need at stormline.com.au. That's Red's review, our product review of the week, thanks to Club Marine. That was Red's review for Club Marine. Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Check the PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's Tip, and this week we're centering it around uh, recovery and beach recovery when it comes to launching and when it comes to spending money on something like 
uh, Max tracks, which essentially are a piece of plastic that you put underneath your wheels that will give grip uh, where you won't get it normally on the beach. Now, there's a whole range of different products. June do one that, that sell out of an Anaconda. X-Ball have one, and they're around the sort of $100 mark. But if you want to spend and you're happy to spend the money, then you do pay for what you get. And Max Tracks have just released their new extreme version of their signature range, and they're not cheap. They're $499, but where they differ from the other manufacturers out there is the teeth that sit underneath these tracks are replaceable, which doesn't currently exist with other models. So if you lose a few teeth on something you've spent a couple of hundred dollars on very, very quickly, you're not going to get the same grip. So the tip this week, if you are going to spend time beach launching, you do need to plan for the worst case scenario, and that is getting bogged. You need a recovery tool in order to get yourself out of a sticky situation like that. And Max Tracks and their extreme range is something that's definitely worth considering if you're happy to spend the money because they may just save your car. That is Red's tip. It's now time for the flying gaff to finish off the show. It's going straight to the skipper of the uh, of the cattery there, Pat, because T- Joel I, took, Selwood. I took Joel out fishing couple of weeks ago or a week ago and um <laughs> i'm laughing while i'm saying it and i asked i should never have asked him i said joel do you mind i'm gonna drive the boat up do you mind winking it on i've never done it before i don't know i'm like oh, you'd be right you literally clip that on blah 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 i showed him roughly how to do it while standing next to the car yep i'll be right i drive the boat up i park it on yep all hooked up i'm like i better check this so i jump out off the front of the boat pat and i look down oh man i was impressed he had hooked the D-shackle onto the – so I'm trying to paint a picture here. He hooked the D-shackle onto the loop of the seatbelt that attaches to the actual winch uh, <laughs> to the winch uh, clip in itself. So the winch clip that goes on the U of the boat, not even he's hooked it onto that. He hooked it in between the seatbelt strap that, is the loop <laughs> that goes on the loop of the hook that goes to the boat. Now, I hope that paints a picture for you. It wasn't even attached to the boat. It was attached to the winch. So, Joel, keep playing footy, mate, because uh, <laughs> in this fishing industry, I'll give you the tip. <laughs> That's the flying gaff. This has been Real Adventures. Thanks for your company. We'll see you next week. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.